said, Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone and then be seated. Good to have you out tonight. God bless you. God bless you. Our special giving emphasis, project number 10, is coming along great. I want to thank you for your generous giving. We are giving now, project number 10, to supply pocket-sized Bibles for all the Polish military and law enforcement agents. So we are going to help keep that Iron Curtain a thing of the past. Hopefully there's going to be a revival and it'll begin in the Polish military and law enforcement because they will have the Word of God. Thank you. $2.50 puts a pocket-sized Polish Bible in their hands. And you, of course, can extrapolate the numbers whether you want to give $25 or $100 or $500. It'll make a great difference. We have some great news among our missionaries. As I announced this morning, congratulations to missionary Ken Overby. We've supported him. We were one of the first churches to support him when he resigned his pastorate in Northern Neck, Virginia, and went to work for a Jewish awareness down in North Carolina. Now, seven years later, he has been appointed the executive director of the entire mission, reaching out to God's Old Testament covenant, his old covenant uh, people, the people of Israel. And we are so glad many of them are coming to know Yeshua as Messiah. So praise the Lord. God bless you, Brother Ken. We appreciate you and Lane, and, uh, and we pray for you, and we're going to continue to support you. Also got a soul-winning report from Bert Zick. That's how you know him. I've known him for over 50 years as Skip Zick. His dad was Bert, but in honor of his dad, he took his dad's name after his dad passed. He's with Amazing Grace Mission, and yesterday, as they were there at the flea market, they had 12 precious souls that they led to Christ over a thousand tracts and personal witnesses given out. Think about that. And your money and your prayers, your investment, pay off with eternal dividends. Wonderful, wonderful. That's just fantastic. Thank you for your faithfulness. Again, thank you to our regular cleaners and our maintenance people. We're putting things back together. We're looking at some trial balloon openings this fall uh, throughout our ministries. And I don't care what the world, the flesh, and the devil do. God uh, is going to give us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we talked about the thorns. It's all just part of God's program. And we understand that there is a purpose for all of these things. I want to also uh, mention the fact that starting in September, we're in our 16th year of Bible Institute. You can trust your King James Bible to be true. We're going to be starting with the life of Isaac and then of Jacob as we continue through our study of Genesis. I hope that many of you will be enrolled. Uh, we'll be meeting uh, on the 11th of September, Saturday the 11th, and it'll be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's all online this year, so everybody can be a part of it. We had about, oh, a couple of hundred that looked in on us last year, matriculated. We had about 60 that graduated and uh, we're looking forward to those who will participate this year. All right. How many of you have your Bibles tonight? Hold them up. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Say it if you mean it. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe there are no mistakes in it. I believe there are no mistakes in it. God helping me. God helping me. I'm going to try to obey it. I'm going to try to obey it. Hey, we learned this morning we shouldn't be counting our thorns. We should be counting our blessings. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. 
And tonight I want us to go to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, this is a quiz question now. In 1 Samuel, who is the main character? Oh, Samuel. Yes, all right, okay. And how did he get here? He got here by a direct intervention by God. There are many, many uh, special births in the Bible. There's one, one divine uh, virgin birth, and that is the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. But there are, there are some precursors and some special births that occurred where it didn't appear that there would be a birth. For example, we have the most obvious example is, is Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah, and God granted them the birth of their special son, the son of promise Isaac, whom we're studying this year in Institute, when they were very, very old. And God gave them new vitality, gave them new life, and gave them that promised one. He is, of course, a type of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Though not virgin-born, uh, still a very special birth. We know, of course, about uh, the special birth of John the Baptist, and we know about the announcement of the birth of Samson. But here we have Samuel. There was no Samuel. Elkanah was married to two women. And every time we find this in the Bible where it was permitted, it seems like there's a lot of problems. Would you agree with me? God's original plan and programs for one man and one, married to be, one woman to be married for life. That's his program. He may have permitted uh, plural marriage in the Bible, but it was never his perfect plan. And there were always some very uh, strong and uh, uh, troubling side effects in the families where that occurred. We know, for example, in, in Jacob's case, he was tricked into marrying Leah first. And, uh, man, after that, when he finally got the one he wanted, it was like a, like a competition to see who could have the babies and that sort of thing. It was just, it was a, it was a difficult and not a perfect uh, situation. Well, here we have Hannah, who is without child. And in Bible times, that was a, a difficult and perhaps even disgraceful circumstance. They believed that the blessing of God was to have children. I still believe that God blesses with children. I don't believe any child is born by accident. I believe that God has a purpose and a design for every child who comes into this world, regardless of how they got here. And so amen to that, amen to that. And so we have Hannah, and she goes, she goes and she is praying, and, and Eli is so spiritually incentive, uh, insensitive. He's the high priest. He hasn't got it figured out. He thinks she's drunk. And he, he doesn't understand that she is very sorrowful. She's not, she's not drunk. She, she took the rebuke. She told the truth. And uh, a little time passed and God intervened and she had this child. And the Bible says after the child was weaned that he was brought, he was brought to Eli to be raised. That would have to have been one of the most difficult things. But she was a, a woman of purpose and a woman of dignity. She kept her promise. She kept her vows. She had made a promise to God. God uh, honored that and gave her a child and after the child was weaned. Now in um, Bible times, uh, moms would nurse uh, perhaps longer than they do now. And uh, according to Babylonian culture, if we can take their word for anything, a child could be several years old and still not weaned. So 
We're not talking about a, a bed baby or a crawling baby or even a toddler, but maybe a young child. We know that at some point in time soon after, he's able to walk and hear and talk and, and he communicates with Eli. So we don't know the exact or the precise age of Samuel when he comes to be lent to the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel and chapter 1, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Think about that. She prayed for her child. She prayed for her child to even have a child. And now she is praying for this one. And that is the relationship that we have with God and with our children. That is, it's all knit together by faithful, heartfelt prayer. Children and children to be raised properly require us to be faithful in prayer. Put that down. Mark that down. And I'll say this, if you don't pray at the beginning as you ought to, what they turn out to be will make you pray later on. Come on now. That's it. If you don't pray at the beginning, what they become will cause you to go to your knees. Don't ever stop praying for your kids. They can be, I mean, you can be 110 and they can be 90 years old and they're still your kids. And you should never stop praying for them. Ah, oh, they're not my responsibility anymore. Never stop praying. Pray with just as much diligence as you did when they were a babe in arms. Pray with as much diligence or perhaps even a greater uh, specific kind of prayer than when they were toddlers, when they were preschoolers, and when they were in kindergarten and growing up. When you were concerned about what might happen to them at school or what might happen to them in the course of a day of play or what might occur around the house. And as they grew up and they got into competitive sports and Man, the first time, I'll never forget, my mom saw me play football one time. She refused to go after that. She wouldn't go. So my dad had to go for both of them. So I'm playing football, and I just happened to be extremely fast. And so because I was extremely fast, I would get many touches on the football one way or another, either back for the punt or the kick or in formation or wide out, as the case may be. And sometimes we would use deception, and I would catch a pass after a very deceiving route or a deceiving play. And a lot of angry players twice my size would be pursuing me. I've told you about we were playing in, uh, in Iowa at a, a big state school in our little Christian college. You know, we, we didn't have a single... Uh, scholarship football player on the team. There was no such thing. It wasn't known. Everybody on this team that we played was a scholarship player. And they had been brought in. I mean, the cornfields of Iowa, they had many starting players from the coal fields of, <laughs> of Pennsylvania. They had some big, big players. And so when I ran that flea flicker off wide out, you know, the, they ran a double reverse, and the left 
halfback, the man that was playing left halfback, had been an All-American high school left-handed quarterback. He paused to throw left-handed. They realized that they'd been snookered. And they yelled, pass! And all of a sudden, the guys who had pulled up dropped back. They thought they were going to stop a double reverse. Instead, there I was out there all alone. And I hauled it in, and I ran for a touchdown faster than I usually did because I had a couple of 240-pound backs coming after me. And I kept running right through the end zone. And I kept on going as far as I could all the way up to the wall of the stadium because I was afraid they were going to make me part of the stadium or bury me under the stadium, preacher. So I understand. I understand all of that. Competitive sports, moms and dads, they worry about, they pray about. I, I remember catching a pass, I was catching a kickoff one time and flipping it back to... Uh, the halfback that was waiting, and I had waited until the very last second, and I got hit by five guys. Uh, this was up in Albert Lee, Minnesota. I got hit by five big Lutherans, and uh, very hard. And I had enough wherewithal, Gabe, to turn around and pitch that ball back, and he ran for a touchdown. But those five guys on me didn't do anything except pile on me, and I was on the bottom. And I could hear my dad over on the sideline saying, Get up, Brad. Get up, Brad. And Brad was under the pile saying, I want to get up, but I can't. I got a, a ton of beef on top of me. So we understand. You pray for those kids because they're in harm's way. And they get older and they go into the military or they, 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 have, a, they have a difficult job. I know what you're going through when, when your kids are out there and, and you know, they're working with equipment and it's difficult. And, and we, have, we have sons who work with big equipment and we have a son who works around electricity and all kinds of things where something could go wrong. We pray. We pray more now probably than we did when they were little and at home because we knew where they were. But now we're praying for them. Think about Job. He gave, he made sacrifices on behalf of his adult children because they may have sinned in their heart. Now think of, think of yourself like Job. Think of yourself like Hannah here, giving her son. There she is. She's given her son. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. That's the application. That's what God gives children for, to be lent to the Lord. They all, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, Isaiah says. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worship the Lord there. This is your background. This is what we understand as the backdrop to this great, great passage of Scripture. Because what we have next in chapter number 2, we find our text right in the middle of Hannah's great prayer. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. She's saying, God, you chose me to be the vessel through whom this, this one who is going to be so special Every child is special. Every child has great potential. And she is rejoicing in the Lord. That's the way we're supposed to rejoice. How many times do we find in the Bible that we are told to rejoice? But it's always in the Lord, isn't it? It doesn't mean we rejoice in circumstances. Do you find anywhere in the Bible where it says rejoice in your circumstances? Re rejoice in your problem. Rejoice in your situation. No, it's rejoice in what? 
the Lord. You can be in any circumstance that the Lord permits, and you can rejoice in the Lord. She rejoices in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. Her situation, she's been given this privilege to be the mother of this one who's going to make such a difference in the life of Israel. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Think about that. In order to get all the praises out, there is none holy as the Lord. She's exalting His holiness. We know that He has these uh, couple dozen attributes in the Scripture. For there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Uh, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. You see, the Lord is in charge. And everything that we do to make ourselves stronger, more powerful, more influential, is not going to make uh, a difference in eternity. It all comes down to how yielded we are, how submissive we are, to the plan and purposes of God. That's what she's saying as she prays this prophetic prayer. All right, and then she says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. It's all in His hands. Our life. I can claim that tonight. I've been there. I'm, I'm the guy that had six heart attacks. I'm the guy whose last heart attack, they said, was the big one. And the left main artery was closed out. But it wasn't God's time for me. And so God spared me. And I have, I've now lived... 19 years beyond that deadly experience. And God is good all the time. And I can look back on all the souls that have been saved, the lives that have been touched, not because of me, but because I remained alive by the goodness of God to be His vessel, to be used by Him so I can give Him all the glory and all the praise. We're not living in those days when uh, there are a lot of people writing a lot of rave reviews about preachers. Uh, the preacher is not popular. He's right down there uh, maybe with uh, politicians nowadays. When they take a poll of, of where you place people uh, in your admiration, very few times are preachers at the top of the list. And very few times are politicians. So we're not very popular. And we probably deserve a lot of what we get as far as that feedback. But the truth of the matter is God has a wonderful, wonderful plan that can be worked out when people are simply submissive and they're not worried about who gets credit. And they're, they're glad to be used by God. And if I am just, a, if I'm like the tools in a toolbox, I don't care if I'm like a greasy wrench. One of my mentors used to say, I'm not a beautiful bouquet of flowers, I'm just a greasy wrench. Well, I'm glad to be a greasy wrench for Jesus. I'm glad to be whatever is necessary to get whatever job done as He wants done. The Lord killeth, he maketh alive, he bringeth down to the grave, and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor, and maketh rich, he bringeth low, and lifteth up. And those are not just good and bad circumstances. Those are different circumstances. And sometimes the greatest blessing comes when we're the lowest, or the greatest opportunity to serve comes when, when, when we are not where we choose to be. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. All of this is a picture of God being in charge. All of it 
gives us a, a pretty transparent view of mankind and the folly of mankind if left to our own devices. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord, serve the Lord before Eli the priest. I want you to notice one phrase out of this tremendous prophetic prayer. And that is the first phrase in verse number 9. He will keep the feet of his saints. The preservation of God's own. He preserves his word. He preserves his servants. The two go together. He will keep the feet of his saints. And even though we see the world in turmoil, uh, and so much of it is confusing and disconcerting to us, I want you to claim this promise tonight. He will keep the feet of his saints. I want us to pray and ask God to give us guidance and direction in this message. Lord, would you help me tonight as we make some applications, as we cross-reference some scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity tonight. I pray for those who are listening, uh, those that are tuned in, and those who will in the future. Thank you for those, those who've come out tonight for the blessings of the day. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. He will keep, He will guard, He will preserve the feet of his saints. So many times we've referred back to General George Patton. Certainly not a role model for language, but a role model for steely, strong leadership principles. And when you need a general, you try to get a General Patton if you can. General Patton used to say of practical things that an army marches on its feet, moves forward on its feet. So they've got to take care of their feet. And he would spend an inordinate amount of time through all of his uh, leadership team to make sure that all of his foot soldiers took care of their feet. That was very important. That's how you make forward progress. Before he passed away this last fall uh, from covid Aaron Wilburn had become my good friend, and through many of our conversations, we had uh, begun to plan his autobiography, uh, and he finally decided he didn't want to write it, and so we didn't, even though I had about 20 hours of material. And uh, Aaron Wilburn and I talked about a lot of things, and I decided to write a song uh, for Aaron Wilburn and to, and to dedicate it to him, even though he was a famous Nashville songwriter, I was going to write a song, and it was called Beautiful Feet. And you'll hear it on From the Shepherd to the Sheep one of these days. Beautiful Feet. Because we know what the Bible says about the feet of the saints. And we want to talk about this tonight and how it applies in view of all of the turmoil around us. Number one, number one, he will keep the feet of his saints means that, number one, he will set us on that rock that we sang about. He'll set us on that rock that, uh, that we read about and sang about in the scriptures. All right? What does that mean? That means a permanent standing. A permanent standing. We have a permanent standing not because 
of our own mindset or our own spiritual decisions. Uh, because we have uh, received Christ as our Savior, we're on the receiving end of this solid foundation. But this solid foundation is not of our making or of our maintaining. That rock status of God, whereby we stand on the solid rock, is, uh, is a permanent standing that we could not, we do not have the capability of managing. He gives that to us. It is entirely of grace. It is entirely of His choosing, and it is absolutely immovable. Everything else can move. He brings us out of, you can't think of anything more movable than that slimy pit that He takes us out of, that pit of, of lostness and depravity and sin. He brings us up out of that pit, and He sets our feet on the solid rock, and then He establishes our goings. That means we don't go back and forth to the pit. That means we stay on the rock. And salvation is of the Lord. There is no time from the moment that He saves us that we are ever unsaved. There is no time when, when uh, we have begun in that relationship that He ceases that special care and that special relationship with us. We're on the rock. So when people say, how are you? saying, well, I'm standing on the solid rock. And uh, that's not something you can just hop off of. That's not something you can take a vacation from or leave, a reprieve. But standing on the solid rock, uh, while it has nothing to do with day by day, it covers every day, every hour, every moment of every hour of every day, from now into eternity, we're on the solid rock. That's it. My feet are on the rock. So He keeps our feet because our salvation is settled. It is absolutely established. Number two, not only is that standing on that rock permanent, but number two, we are protected. Would you turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, there are so many scriptures about the feet. And we have preached on the armor of the Lord. And you're familiar with our feet being shod. In Ephesians 6 and verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We know what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news. And the peace that's brought is the, the reconciliation, the peace that occurs between a God who requires uh, justice and payment uh, for our sin debt and uh, the fact that Jesus Christ has made that payment in full. So we are shod with those, with those shoes they are, they are like the, the iron-soled shoes of the Roman soldier, and they've got a special grip to them so that when we are engaged in the warfare in which we find ourselves, we've got solid footing. All of that is provided. Once again, we don't make these shoes. We didn't make the rock. We can't. We don't make the shoes. He makes the shoes. And our feet are shod with them so that as a part of our going, we are going so as to establish, once again, that relationship of peace as we introduce Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Our testimony is one that should be obvious by our lifestyle. Our speech should, uh, to, should bewray us, as the Scripture says, the, the old Shakespearean language, bewraying us or betraying us. We, we, should, uh, we should speak in a way that people will know there's something different about us. Our attitude 
should show forth Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be right on doctrine and wrong in spirit. We should be right on doctrine and right in our spirit. It should be so obvious to people that we, when we go forth, we've got that sure footing. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're going because our feet have been protected. The Bible says those feet are beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of them? Isaiah says, and then it's echoed again in the book of Romans. Beautiful feet, not because they are beautiful to behold outwardly, but because of where those feet take us, where the Lord allows us to go. And if we were to, to bring across this platform tonight all of the missionaries who are represented out there on our missions wall and allow them just a few moments to talk about some of the places where they've been, where God has allowed them to be. From the human standpoint, we'd say, boy, that was difficult. I can't imagine having to eat that, having to live there, having to, to go through those circumstances. I can't tell you how many times Brother Carney has had to go through uh, sickness over there in Africa for the cause of Jesus Christ. I mean, he has been extremely ill numerous times, and he's come through it. And he continues on to serve the Lord. We have known missionaries who numerous times had uh, horrible uh, illnesses and diseases. And because of their diseases, they were totally dependent upon the Lord. But they were cheerful about that and served the Lord. Oh, if they could come by and tell you these things in our, in our flesh, we'd say, oh, I could never do that. Oh, that's so difficult. Their feet took them to the place where the Lord sent them. Like uh, Livingston said, you know, I'll go, I'll go anywhere, just, Lord, you go with me. You take me. You lead me. You take me, and I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere you lead me. That's our attitude. That's what we desire among all the believers of this fellowship. Lord, take me anywhere. Anywhere those shod feet will go, where we'll share the gospel of Jesus Christ and reconcile people to God through Jesus Christ, through His finished work. I'll go wherever you take me, wherever you send me, wherever you uh, bring me along, that's where I'll go. Those feet are protected feet. They're protected feet. So we have a permanent standing, protected feet, and I want to move on very quickly, and I want to go to John chapter 13. Turn back to John chapter 13. And there we have... Another incidence in the scripture, another occurrence. And you know exactly what happened in John chapter 13. This is prior uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ going to Calvary and giving himself. He's prepping his disciples for the servanthood that they will have to uh, uh, manifest, they'll have to experience and manifest. And he's washing their feet and talking to them about their path. And on the path, they're going to become dusty and dirty out in the world. And so they need to be washed. And Peter says, uh, you'll never wash me. And Jesus says to Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And so Peter gets all excited and always goes to extremes, doesn't he? And he says, well, not just my feet, but my head and all of me. Wash all of me. But he didn't understand that Jesus was not symbolizing the washing of all of us. 
Because when we are saved, we've been washed. But when we are out in the world, we get the dust of the world. We get the residue of the world. And what that residue on our feet represents is the broken fellowship that can happen because every day we're out there with them. And so we need to have a spiritual foot washing. And doing that, Jesus Christ, for His disciples, is showing forth His servant's heart and modeling for them what kind of heart they're going to have to have as they go forth. And so as we help one another and uh, encourage one another and edify one another, there is this business of helping each other along on a day-by-day basis and to maintain fellowship with the Lord and with each other. Uh, When we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ God's Son cleanseth us from all sin. Isn't that a wonderful truth? We have fellowship. A preacher next month, our theme is going to be fellowship. Koinonia. We have in common Jesus Christ. So great salvation. The Word of God. The promises of God. We have We have that, and that's how we fellowship, because we have that which is really spiritual and substantial in common. It isn't the fact that we come from the same origin, the same background, uh, humanly speaking, the same language, culture, group, or that we have the same job or earning power or, or come from the same geographic location or have the same interests or pastimes. Those things can be totally different, so that a very... A complex combination of people and their attributes will come together and they'll enjoy this one accordedness, this oneness in Christ, and they have koinonia, they have fellowship. That's wonderful. When we're helping one another to wash the feet of the brethren and the sister and too, the brothers and the sisters, we're really doing what Paul speaks of when he says edify. We're helping. We're encouraging one another. How important is that? It's important to keep that part of us clean. Or to alliterate, we not only have a permanent standing, we have protected feet, and we now keep them pure. We keep them clean. That's a matter of maintenance. It's a matter of daily, daily going through this. Sometimes I feel when I come in, Like, I mean, I just literally need a spiritual washing of my feet. So, there it is. What does it mean to keep the feet of His saints? It means we have a permanent standing, protected feet, and pure feet. And what does that do? What does that do for us? All right, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at it. Uh, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. As we look at another verse having to do with our feet. Psalm 119. Verse 105. Psalm 119. And verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In caring for the feet of the saints... He's provided us a book. And this book is a perfect book. I know there are people today who call themselves Christians and they may very well be saved, but they don't believe they have a perfect book. They believe once upon a time there was a perfect book, even though it wasn't a book, it was a bunch of manuscripts and scrolls. They never were collated into one book. 
But they believe when they were originally given that that's where inspiration is and was and that's all it'll ever be except for that which is settled in heaven. So we're in kind of a difficult situation because hundreds and in some cases longer than hundreds, even thousands of years ago, there used to be the scriptures that we can only guess at, they say. There's no way you can absolutely know what they say. We have a pretty good idea, but it's in the arena of, uh, of scholarship and speculative reasoning that uh, we have to go to church and listen to somebody who is educated beyond his intelligence, and he's going to be the final authority for faith and practice. Uh, I believe that many people have died to not be under that kind of subjugation. And I believe our people, Baptists of all people, should not fall prey to this lie that says only the scholars can know the specifics of the will of God because only they can figure out what the Word of God is. That's totally wrong. I hope I'm being clear tonight. I want you to know that every objection that has ever been raised against our position is a straw man objection. It cannot be supported by Scripture itself. It is always uh, coming from doubt and never from faith. And everybody who has ever opposed our position on the Word of God seems to end up just running in their own circles like a dog chasing his tail. You ever see that? That's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? You ever have your dog chase his tail? That's what they tend to do. They just go in circles. They never solve anything. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, if this isn't it, I suggest you go someplace in this world and find whatever it is and get it and live by it. Because Jesus said that. And Jesus would not tell us to do something that we are not capable of doing. So those guys who believe that or promote that perhaps have another agenda. I strongly suspect it. I'm not judging their motives, but it just seems to be pretty transparent that that makes us dependent upon whatever they say. They will say something like this. This is a very unfortunate translation. And then they will proceed to give their own personal translation. It's usually based upon a uh, search or research of, of some manuscripts, of some text, of the underlying languages, and they, they will do a... Um, kind of like a daisy chain study through uh, Strong's Concordance or, or through some other resource. And they'll say, so you could really translate it this other way. And they sound like a scholar and everybody gasps with amazement because they've heard somebody that they've got the word even though we haven't. You know, we have, a, we have a, an imperfect translation. Have you ever heard this one? Translations cannot be inspired. Who says? God says the opposite. We have translations in the scripture itself, and we know they're inspired because God's word is inspired. Every word, every syllable is inspired. So here's my position that has been attacked numerous times, but only by straw men arguments, and never out of faith, always out of doubt, and always results in the person running in circles. Here's my position. 
Just like Jesus said, I believe God has provided us with the Bible in the English language, which is inspired and preserved. Not just the thoughts, the ideas, or the message, but the very words. It's called the King James Bible. It was translated by godly men who were led of the Holy Spirit, and through their process, they selected the proper words so that when English was at its pinnacle, we now have a translation that is above error, that is above mistakes, the King James Bible. Amen. If you haven't got one, then you're your own final authority. Praise the Lord for the word that's been provided. He's given us a light unto their feet and to their path. We, we've, got, we've got our way made clear by the word of God. I believe also the Bible teaches us that the more we are into the word of God, the more light we receive. The more, the more we study God's word, the, the entrance of thy word giveth what? Light. So the more we get God's word in us, the more light is in us. And I believe that is the secret to a successful walk for the Lord. Our path will be lighted by the word of God that we've hidden in our heart. So our goal should be to get as much of the word of God into us as we possibly can. When the Bible says, Hannah praying this prophetic prayer, he will keep the feet of his saints. Those are feet that are permanently set on the rock. Feet that are protected, shod with the preparation of, of uh, the uh, gospel of peace. Those are feet, uh, furthermore, that uh, are pure feet. They've been made clean by the washing that we have on a daily basis. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this will help us. It will keep us on the path and it will keep us from getting off the path. It will keep us from that, you know, that ditch experience or out in that left field or that right field and, and stumbling along. It will keep us from stumbling around. All right? Number Two, what else does it do for us? What else does it do? Here it is, very quickly. Jude 24. And Gabe, here we go into your territory. All right. Just before the book of the Revelation, book of Jude, written by the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He's able to keep us from falling. We'll stay on the path, and then notice here, he will, he will enable us, you see, to go on without falling, without completely falling out, without quitting, without giving up, without fainting along the way. All of those things that can happen to us in the course of an exhausting, challenging day for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to keep the feet of his saints. He's going to keep us on the path. He's going to keep us from faltering and stumbling and falling. And then thirdly, I want to show you where he's going to eventually bring us. Psalm 122. Psalm 122. I sang this the other day. Uh, it's going to come up in next month from the shepherd to the sheep. 
Psalm 122, and it says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Within his gates. Now, right now, his gates in the place where he'd have us to be, the place of service. He wants us to, to serve in and through and out of the local church and with other believers that are uh, likewise lined up with his perfect will. And so wherever he has us and wherever we're going, we're eventually going to end up, if we stay in his will, he's going to bring us within his gates, within his protection, within his care, in his perfect will. He will keep the feet of his saints. That's it. That's it. As I think about where God brought Samuel, he brought him into this world by his intervention so that Hannah could have a child that was not happening prior to that. God answered her prayer. In answer to the prayer of a mom who vowed that she would give him back to the Lord. And then in answer to, his, to her prayers, he continued to serve. Think of the life of Samuel. Think of the leadership of Samuel. Think of the difference that he made. And as Hannah is praying this prophetic prayer, he will keep the feet of his saints. How much this applies, not only to Samuel, this little child who grew up to be this great man for God, but also it applies to us by extension as well. He keeps our feet. He keeps our feet. He guides us. He protects us. He provides for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight are rejoicing in the Lord that he keeps the feet of his saints? Raise your hands up high. Amen. Amen. And in what area of your life is he speaking to you right now? About what is he convicting you? Is there some decision? Is there some area of your life? Maybe it's in relation to the word of God in your life. Maybe it's in relation to soul winning. Whatever it may be, let's allow the Lord to have His way in and through our life. Right now, if you've not received Christ as Savior, now is the time. Now is your opportunity. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart to God? Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.
of the Lord. 